Hi, welcome to MediatorPodcast.com, a podcast and video series about mediation, negotiation, and collaboration. My name is Melissa Gregg, and I'm a valuation expert and mediator in St. Louis, Missouri. I actually specialize in divorce and partner disputes, but today we'll discuss divorce mediation and parenting plans or child custody with Michelle Weinberg. Michelle's a licensed marriage and family therapist with over 20 years of experience, but now focuses her practice specifically and solely on divorce mediation in New Jersey. In 2011, she co-founded Westfield Mediation with an attorney, Randy Albert, and she's also a member of the New Jersey Association of Professional Mediators and volunteers at several organizations in her spare time. We are so grateful and happy to have you, Michelle. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes. So this is um, a topic that everybody kind of gets into having to do with a divorce if you have children, obviously. Um, And so sometimes people think when they go through divorce, whether in mediation or otherwise, that they just kind of talk about in general, like, hey, maybe I'll keep the kids. Maybe we'll transfer them on a Thursday. Maybe we'll do this. But they don't always understand that there is a more formal process of how you agree to those terms. And we talk about these things are in a parenting plan. Um, And so Michelle, kind of tell us about what what do you see as a parenting plan and why, you know, um, why somebody would want one of these in a divorce? Sure. So a parenting plan can be pretty comprehensive if you want it to be. It can be more limited if you want it to be. So it can it can have a variety of definitions. In our mediation practice, we say that a parenting plan is pretty all encompassing. And we ask a lot of questions to try to help you to get there. So it would be a very specific mapping out of where are the kids going to be on which days, where are they going to be on holidays, special occasions, how about vacations, who gets first pick for summer vacation. If you both want to go away that same last week before school starts, how do you figure that out? Um, we try to uh, get ahead of all the roadblocks that can come in your future. We talk about uh, religious upbringing. We talk about extracurricular activities. We talk about who's paying for what things. Um, We talk about college, even if you have young children, because it hopefully is, um, you know, some type of post-secondary education might be in your children's future. So we, we ask a lot of questions and then you can pick and choose how specific you want to be about each question or if you want to include that question. Maybe, um, you know, maybe religious upbringing is not an issue and you don't want it in your parenting plan. So that's OK. So a parenting plan can be very, very broad and get very specific or it could just stay broad and not very specific. It's up to you and because that's how mediation works. You have a lot of flexibility in this process. Yeah. And in the, in the flexibility of the process, because when we're talking about getting divorced, for the most part, at some point, you're still going to have to go to court to at least enter what you've decided in the mediation, right? Yeah. And so when you go to court and you enter what you've decided, you've all agreed, we come up with this parenting plan. And it is an opportunity for people, like I try to tell people, map out and discuss as many issues as you even think is going to come up in this process, or else you're going to, especially if you have a hard time communicating, right? You know, bring up these issues, you might as well talk about them when you have this 
person in the room kind of helping you talk about them. But how do we use the parenting plan in the divorce? Do we even have to, right? Do we even have to do a parenting plan? Or or what do you see in, around there in, in New Jersey? So we encourage people to have at least a basic plan. So even if and we tell them ahead of time, okay, this is sort of the fallback plan. So if your plan is to have, you know, the kids Monday, Tuesday, your your spouse has them Wednesday, Thursday, and then you alternate weekends, that's great. Put that on paper. And then because of your work schedule, oh my goodness, I need to flip and have them Wednesday, Thursday instead of Monday, Tuesday, this one week, then you do that. You don't have to go back to court to say, oh my goodness, I need to change my parenting plan this week. As I tell my clients, there's no parenting police following you around to say, oh my goodness, it's Wednesday and your kids are here and they're supposed to be there. As long as you're in agreement, you have the ability to make those changes on a case-by-case basis as life comes up because whatever you have written on paper is wonderful, but it's never gonna work 100% of the time because that's not how life works. Um, But if you go into the process knowing that and and are aware of being uh, that flexible, then you can can make it work on a case-by-case basis. But if you have nothing in place and you have nothing to fall back on, then that's an issue. The the benefit of having a parenting plan, at least a basic one uh, at minimum, is that when you are in disagreement, so you both want the kids on a Monday, whoever is written to have them on Monday will have them on Monday. That's your fallback plan. You don't have to go to court to argue about it that because the court's going to tell you to follow your parenting plan. So if you have a parenting plan as a minimum is your backup to an argument that, that you can avoid. Well, and a lot of times people are coming into a divorce, right? Because there are communication issues. There are difference of opinions of maybe even how to raise the kids, right? Um, We start to get into different school situations like private school, public school, who's going to pay, who's going to pick sports, who's going to pay, who's going to pick. And part of it is at the very beginning, though, when people start to understand how this is going to work, they, they have some confusion in the custody, you know, so a lot of people are like, I want full custody. I want, you know, like, I I have to have control, like their, their, whatever their issue is that they have about the other spouse, right, is, is usually could be real or not perceived. But whatever it is, they're just like, I have to have the kids, I have to have full custody, I want full custody. And they don't understand that there, you know, there's a difference between legal custody and physical custody, and how that looks. So maybe we need to dial it back and say, okay, what what does that even mean? What is, is there a difference between legal and physical custody? And what does that mean when you're getting divorced? Yeah, so we do explain that pretty clearly. Um, in New Jersey, there's legal custody and there's physical custody. Legal custody is who is making the decisions of, for your children about some of the issues you just uh, said, school, religious upbringing, extracurricular activities, um, you know, child care, health care issues. Uh, you know, should they get their tonsils out? Should they see another doctor as a first, second opinion, a third doctor? You know, th- those kind of things. Um, those have to be made jointly. Uh, almost Pretty often in New Jersey, it's it's assumed that there is going to be joint legal custody, uh, mm-hmm. unless there's some very good reasons not to. But most of the time, parents should anticipate that they're going to have to make those decisions jointly, regardless of, of the animosity or lack of animosity between them. 
Um, and then there's physical custody. So physical custody is where are they spending their time? It doesn't necessarily mean how much time they're spending at each place, just where are they spending their time? And most of the time that's joint also because they'll be spending at least some of their time at one parent's house and some of their time at the other parent's house. Yeah, and part of that leads us into kind of what I think is sometimes the default. And again, we have to be very clear, even, you know, like, even if you and I as mediators can mediate anywhere in the country, right, because we can, um, for the most part, people really get to know their state because every state has certain rules. But a lot of times the default is 50-50 custody or shared custody or joint custody. And there could be different terms that are used, but is there a difference or what is the difference? Or do you just have to figure out, like make sure you know if these terms are used differently in your state as well? Right, so in mediation, we sort of don't rely on terms. We just look at the facts and say, okay, let, you can call it whatever you want, but where are your kids gonna be spending your time and what quality time are they spending with you? So if they have one extra day with a parent, one parent every week, and it's not exactly 50-50 custody, it's still shared parenting and you're still getting very good quality time with the children. So that's what really matters. Um, and we try and steer away from you know, counting out the minutes and the hours of, of what you're doing with your kids and, sp and stick to the concepts of, you know, what's in the best interest of the child, what's realistic, what's your commute like, uh, you know, we're a suburb of New York, so it could be very long some days when, uh, you know, mass transit or there's an accident on the turnpike or whatever it could be. So uh, we try to look at quality of time, not just minutes of time as well. And we try to steer away of the mindset of it has to be 50-50, it has to be shared, it has to right. be right joint, whatever the concepts are, and, and just try to get to the reality of what makes sense for your situation. Um, so they should still speak to an attorney to know what their rights are, right? Because we always want them to be aware of it. But in mediation, again, we try to help them come up with a realistic plan for their situation, which isn't what their neighbor had or their cousin who got divorced or, you know, what somebody else had. So we have to be specific for, for what their needs are. And we can, we can do that in mediation. Well, and I think in, in mediation, especially for a parenting plan. Okay. So a parenting plan, you're coming in and you're saying, okay, here's the specifics of our family. Here's the dynamics of our children. Here's the things that we have to do. Here are, are the, the ways that we work from home or don't. All of these specifics. But when it comes right down to it, there's not going to be like a template for the plan, right? We're not going to be like, oh, given all these parameters, you should exchange at Thursday at 3 p.m. And the, the one parent should drop off. So you're coming together and really just having a discussion for for a decade or two decades into the future, what are the decisions we're going to make and how are we going to make them now with, with some idea of what it looks like now? And so in some capacities, could you get your attorneys in the room and could everybody get in the room? Sure. But really a mediator is just introducing things like, okay, are you guys going to go to private school? Well, no, we like our Okay, well, what if somebody moves houses? You know, like we're just creating scenarios where then they can talk like, okay, if this happens, what what's going to be the result? And then you put it together in a document, you know, like 
And I think that even holidays, right? Like you can talk, like talk a little bit about the logistics in the plan of like drop off, pick up whose responsibility, because it gets granular if you want it. And if you have issues, you might want it granular. Yes. Yes. So we, from the start say that the, the parenting plan that works for you now with your four-year-old is not going to work for your 14-year-old. You just mm -hmm. have to realize that and your job may change and their needs are going to change. So go in this, go into this with open eyes, but let's look at what's going to work for now. And then if you need to, okay, maybe you do need to know that the transition is going to be at school or daycare or childcare or with the nanny or, you know, however, because you would like to limit the amount of interaction that the parent, the co-parents have with one another. Um, and so a lot of times parents choose to do it that way. They, they are not directly interacting with each other often. Mm -hmm. um, and the transition will occur through a third party, either school or aftercare, or, you know, whatever it may be. So I'll drop the child off at school, you'll pick them up at aftercare, you know, mm -hmm. and, and so it's not necessarily a time, it's sort of like a, a place, you know, where, where that transition can happen. And then you have to come up with a summer plan too, if their summer plans are different, um, you know, than their, than their school year plans. And so you have to think about that as well. Um, and with the holidays, we do try to map it out as as much uh, as we can. A lot of times people who are get, who are getting divorced and through mediation are, are getting along in some capacity and say, mm -hmm. oh, well, we'll just work that out. And so it's my job to bring up the sticky issue of saying, I understand where you're coming from and that may work for a little while. I'm envisioning five years from now, you each have new partners and they have children and they have their family tradition and you wanna make sure that you can coordinate your, your family into other family traditions as well. And if you know when, you, when your children are gonna be with you, it's easier to do that. And so, you know, I'm never getting married again is what I hear a lot of times. And, you know, that doesn't always hold water. Oftentimes people do get remarried or have new partners. Um, so I try to anticipate as much as possible their future. Uh, and sometimes they believe me and sometimes they don't. So it's up to them how they want to proceed. So we try to get them as specific as possible with also built in flexibility, knowing that things will change down the road. Well, and I think in divorces, we also see a power dynamic issue. So one spouse may have more control over the money, the finances, or one spouse may have more control over the children's activities and things like that. And in that power dynamic, we've sort of just gone along, you know, so both parties have just like, well, this is how we've done it in the past. Like, we're just going to go along and we'll figure it out. But if you know that there's power dynamics in your situation and you know that in the past you have not been able to enunciate what you want it is a good time to use that opportunity and say to the mediator like what else should i consider mm -hmm. like okay well what happens if one of you guys get a work out of town like what happens you know and and even coming up with a list of their priorities like is christmas always going to be a priority to you and you'd give up thanksgiving and the other person would take the Thanksgiving every time, you know, like those types of things. I think it, this process helps people come off of their, I have to have Christmas every year, right? Because they start to see, is that going to be realistic forever? Right. Like, or is there some give and take, 
right? And, and also um, cooperation builds upon cooperation. So once they've started to agree about some other things and they, they realize that they're, they, they can work together, um, they might be willing to get off their you know, position that they're so stuck on with some flexibility because they realize, okay, maybe I can't have them every Christmas, maybe the kids won't be with me every Christmas, but I know that if a special Christmas comes up, because we've worked well together, maybe that my co-parent will allow me to have them for that special Christmas, even if it's not my Christmas, because yeah. they've had this goodwill sort of built up through cooperation. But it's also stating the things that are important to you and coming up with that list of things that are really that maybe you haven't said in the past, but because the reality is, and this is what I tell people, you're going to have the conversation. You're going to have the conversation of whether we continue with hockey or if who's going to pay for the travel team, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're going to have these conversations, why wouldn't you do it right now? Like, let, let's just, because sometimes you might identify issues that you didn't, oh, I didn't know you were so concerned about hockey. I thought, I thought everybody was on board because we've all been like placating this already tenuous situation. And so it's, it is an opportunity for people to finally be like, you know what? <laughs> the kid never liked it. I never <laughs> liked it. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes the truth starts to come out. So you're creating a plan that's really based on the reality but we do usually have some top issues that people are, are always going to have and debate. And so what are the top three kind of polarizing issues that you see that are debated in the parenting plan process? Um, and then I'll give you some. It, it, let's see which ones you are, because I'm okay. sure there are so many. <laughs> so I would say the top three tend to be holidays, mm -hmm. um, you know, like you mentioned Christmas before, it can be, you know, very emotional. And to, to, especially if your children are on the younger side, how can they not, how can I not see them on Christmas morning, waking up and you know, going to the tree, that kind of thing. It's emotional. Um, the other thing is um, what happens when parents have new partners. Mm -hmm. um, so again, I, I'm sort of the stick in the mud that brings it up because who knows when it's going to happen. It may have already happened. And how my main concern uh, in bringing it up is not, I don't care what you do with your new partner, but how, how are the kids going to be introduced to the new partner? How are you going to tell each other that there is a new partner? How long do you want to wait until you allow the kids to meet somebody? Um, because the goal is not to have people in and out of the kid's life. And then the third is, you mentioned it before as well, um, if a parent has to move, not necessarily out of state, because that's sort of its own set of, of issues, but mm -hmm. within the state, how far is too far to be going back and forth on a regular basis? I don't want to drive to South Jersey from North Jersey. You know, it's, it um, takes a lot of time. It's expensive. There's traffic. It's annoying. Um, so how where, what's that cutoff point where it becomes your responsibility because you're the one that moved to make the mm -hmm. kids go back and forth? So those are the top three. And I would say um, not everybody has all those issues. Some people zip right through them and it's not an issue, but those tend to be the more common ones that, that are a little sticky. Yeah. And but I think the, the moving one. Um, for sure, there could be state specific restrictions or that you have to communicate or ask permission type of things. Um, I really like the one that you brought up, though, about how to talk about another person, 
you know, another um, relationship. And because you, you kind of have to know that in most divorces, um, there's a great likelihood that there was a relationship in the divorce, right, that created why they're getting divorced. And so it could be a hot button, um, like, well, you already had somebody come into this relationship and you didn't do it like this. But again, I don't think we should look at mediation as like, okay, everybody talk nice about things. That's not really what it is. It's like, hey, how I would appreciate, right, if when that happens, you give me a heads up first, mm -hmm. and then we talk about how that's going to look as opposed to going to the holiday dinner. And now my kids come home and tell me that they met Susie and they think that dad's girlfriend is so delightful, right? So you can, it's, it's sort of like the mediators bringing up these issues and then you guys are like, okay, how are you going to deal with, you know, like you get to state what you would like so that somebody doesn't mess up in the future. You know, like after you get divorced, you really don't want each other to mess up as parents in the future, right? right. You want the plan to help you. And, and that's where I think that, that people are trying to get to now an interesting idea that people may not know about because a lot of stuff that we've talked about, they're like, okay, makes sense. But there is a concept called nesting. Yes. So talk to us a little bit about this because this leads us to some of the creativity in mediation. This might not be a thing that you know about, but a mediator could talk to you about, you know, unique ways of looking at uh, the same issue. Sure. So nesting is a parenting plan where the children remain in the marital home and the parents either get one apartment or two apartments or other places to live um, on their non where they go on their non parenting time. Typically, nesting involves a second apartment, let's say, and both parents go to that second apartment during their non parenting time. So mm -hmm. let's say you do a week on a week off of parenting. So on your non week of parenting, you're living in the apartment and then your co-parent lives it lives in the apartment on the following week when you go back to the house. Mm -hmm. So there's always one parent in the marital home and one parent in the second apartment. Mm -hmm. And it's usually, you know, a small place because the kids don't go to that apartment. The kids are always in the marital home and the parents rotate in and out of that second apartment to the marital home. Yeah. And what it does is shift a little bit of the, you know, because in a lot of divorces, we're like, okay, kids pack up every four days, every three days and shift to another household. Um, this is where the kids stay in the household and the parents actually shift. And I've seen this work very successfully. It's usually a short term yes. situation. Um, you know, sometimes getting divorced is a process six months to a year to longer if you go litigation. Um, but it is a good option. Another thing, um, you know, additional tips maybe for parents is that if you have teenagers, especially teenage girls, you need to have or even like kids in general, like they have their favorite hoodie, they have their favorite shoes, they have their favorite whatever. And I know this sounds crazy, but I've encouraged some parents to get two of things. If it's really important, you know, if it's a curling iron that they love, get two, just have one at each place because we're forcing them to pack up everything that they love and then miss it if they forget. And what do kids do? Forget every time. <laughs> 
you know, what are some other tips or ideas that you have for parents to, or, or concepts for them to think about when they're coming up with a parenting plan? Maybe that they wouldn't think about normally. So a lot of times the parenting plan also goes hand in hand with your financial situation. So are you keeping the marital home? Are you both getting new residences? Um, you know, can you afford a second apartment to do the nesting if you so choose? So it's not only parenting plan in in isolation. You do have to consider the financial piece of it as well. Um, a lot of times people want to keep the marital home for the kids and maybe have, you know, a second home that the kids do sort of um, have two homes now, but it's not very realistic to afford the parent, the, the marital home. So they have to think about that, even with best intentions and both parents agree that they want the kids to stay in the marital home. It might not be a, an option. So they do have to um, come up with some ideas, but also look realistically what what can they afford to implement. Mm -hmm. So sometimes people have to move back home with grandparents or sisters, brothers, cousins, you know, whatever it may be. Um, so you have to think of that as an option, um, getting a, a roommate to come in if you do want to live in the marital home, but you might need that extra financial support. There's lots of issues um, that you, you have to see what works for your situation. Sometimes parents move keep the marital home but they may the second parent moves to a town that maybe is a few towns away that's a little less expensive but the kids can still stay in their marital home and go to that school so living in the other um town doesn't affect them that much but it's more affordable for the for the parents to do that the the co-parents so it's really uh hand in hand the options the marital the the parenting plan options and the financial options yeah. And I think that that's when we've seen nesting really be really work when you either have a school district you have to stay into or, you know, the schools, because sometimes it is like, what are the kids accustomed to? If one parent is going to have the fancy house with the pool and the, the trampoline and then the other parent is an apartment and, you know, I don't even get my own bedroom, you know, that dichotomy is what we're trying to prevent in some capacity or the perception of it, but it doesn't mean that it's always possible. You mm -hmm. know, it really means like your situation, we're trying to come up with like, what's the best for everybody in the situation or what's the, the, the best alternative, right? Because if you keep one house in the district, what happens if you can't afford that house in the future? You're still mm -hmm. gonna have, you know, like even if anything, coming up with a way to talk about these things in the future. I've seen couples go back to their mediator yes. in the future, sure. you know, so five years down the line, you go and say, Oh man, now we can't figure out this. Odds are you can go back to that same mediator and say, we just want to work with you for a few hours and like come up with a new plan, adjust it, agree to it, something like that. Um, and that's usually a good place because those people, again, are just trying to help you facilitate the conversation, right? Yeah, it's often included. It's pretty common now to include that clause in a divorce agreement that you'll try mediation before immediately going back to court about an issue. Mm -hmm. So now we often do see not necessarily people that we've helped divorce, but other, you know, maybe they litigated, but in their divorce agreement, it says that they have to come to mediation first. So they come to us to try to resolve any post-divorce issues that may pop up. Mm -hmm. Well, and one other thing, um, 
is, and we haven't said it yet in this conversation, and I'm just going to throw it in there as a question real quick, but like at the end of this, you know, you have, I mean, you might have a parenting plan and, and you might have, like, if you go through mediation, you have a lot of other issues, you come out at the end and you might have an MOU or, or people talk about like they have different acronyms, but what at the end of mediation, let's say somebody comes to you and they're going to work through their financials or they're going to work through the parenting plan, then, okay, now we've kind of, I think we agree. Like then what, like what, what does somebody do at that point? Like, Hey, we agree. Now what? So an MOU is a memorandum of understanding, and it's basically a fancy industry term for a report that reflects the agreements that you've reached in mediation. So it's ten, usually like 10 to 15 pages um, of full MOU, and it covers for us sort of soup to nuts. So it covers basically your parenting plan, all of your finances, so what's happening with your um, assets and your debt. So like your house and your 401ks and your credit card mortgage, who's paying for college, what's happening to your student loans, your bank accounts, your um, uh, cars, sort of anything and everything financial. And then also support. So it covers child support, which is mandated in the state of New Jersey. So um, we help you figure out what those terms are going to be. And then if um, alimony now known as spousal support is warranted then we help you we helped you figure out what those terms were and that's in the agreement anything else that's important to you so sometimes you want pets to be addressed in a certain way or you want a family heirloom to go to a certain person and you want to make sure that's uh, addressed and in writing so it has anything regarding your divorce agreement in writing in this agreement and then mm -hmm. you take that mou to somebody something called a review attorney and a review attorney is a divorce attorney acting in a more limited role. And they look at it and they say, okay, here's, here's my advice to you. This is in your best interest. You should be getting 10 years of alimony instead of eight years of alimony. And the person might say, I realize that, but um, it's fine. I don't need the extra two years of alimony. We've agreed to it. I've gotten other things that I didn't think I was gonna get. So I'm okay with the eight years. The lawyer will say, fine. Uh, the lawyer will file all the paperwork in court for you and make sure that, um, you know, you're represented in court, will go to court with you. So the MOU gets you sort of 90% of the way and the review attorney gets you the other 10%. So it's the same thing. You cover all the same issues that you would if by using attorneys only, you just do it in a more cooperative way and it gets you very far into the process. Yeah, because there's some things that you can give up and there's some things that you can't, you know, like Missouri is a little bit different. You can give up alimony, which is maintenance or what somebody, one spouse pays the other, but you can never give up child support. You can't. The same way. Yep. Yeah. So you can't because, negotiate because it. Child support is the right of the child to have two parents financially support them, not necessarily have, it's a little um confusing because one parent is paying the other parent but really it's the it's to go to the child's be benefit not necessarily mm -hmm. the other co-parents benefit so parents think that they can negotiate that but really it's the right of the child to have that um co parents support them and and i think it's a good it's just a good point to make that like mediation is everybody agreeing to things but when you have the mediator or you know your lawyers that you might have as advisors 
um, there are going to be certain things that you just, you don't get to decide sometimes, you know, and they'll give you kind of the rubric of, of where your decisions go or, or can't, you know, in some cases, somebody's not going to write off that, oh, you can have the kids a hundred percent full custody, everything, just give me the house, right? Like we're not going to be swapping kids. We're not going to be swapping assets for kids. And the court can see when some of that is in the documents. So mediation is very much collaborative, but it's also like it's it's got its limitations because you still have it's still a legal process to get divorced in yes. most states. Yes. Um, but tell us a little bit about you because mediators are very different. And I think that especially in divorce, um, you really need to know what you're doing in there and not everybody likes divorce. So tell us more about maybe a little bit more about your backstory um, and how you started, you got into this because you were a therapist yes. and you, were you just seeing like people getting divorced and it was a hot mess or what? So um, I've been a therapist. I always worked at nonprofits. And one of the nonprofits I worked at got involved in a new program for high conflict post-divorce couples. So these were the couples that were going to court because one parent wanted them to play hockey and the other parent wanted to play soccer. And the judge is like, you decide. Why, you know, like, why, why am I uh, forced to decide this? So it was the same couples constantly going back to court. The judges were getting tired of seeing them. So they came up with this program and I was in charge of that program. So I saw these high conflict post-divorce couples. And then um, I heard about mediation and I thought, oh my goodness, I can help people before they get to that point. They don't have to be the post-divorce high conflict couples. I can help them before and come up with an agreement so they never reach that point. So it was just a really good fit for my personal philosophy of how um, I, I think the process should go. So Randy, my my partner, um, said she was doing this Westfield mediation and we should join forces. She's a lawyer. I'm a, a therapist. And I said, that's a great idea. So we we created Westfield mediation and we focus solely on divorce mediation. It's all we do. We're one of the few people in New Jersey that solely focus on divorce mediation. A lot of people are attorneys who also do mediation or therapists or financial advisors or whatever you may be who also do mediation, but we do only mediation. So we're pretty unique in that way. Um, and we help couples reach agreement. Like I said, we cover it all, whatever you want in your divorce agreement. That's awesome. Like I, and I think that more people are starting to understand uh, mediation process. I will say um, a lot of mediators are mental health professionals, as well as attorneys, as well as financial professionals. And I think if you bring together a good group of those people um, for your in your area, I think you have the makings of a decision process that you have more control over and maybe more control over the costs, too. Um, but they can definitely reach out to you specifically in New Jersey. Um, I would assume that even around your area, if somebody reached out to you and you weren't the right fit, you would know other mediators that could. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and refer them. I mean, I think mediators are really just trying to get more people to do this process this way. Um, and so, you know, we cross refer and, Oh, 
get somebody in your area. You know, sometimes you want to sit down with them. You want to like have that person to person. A lot of it's being done online. Do you see more in person or online nowadays? A little bit more in person than certainly before COVID, we were all in person. Um, but and then in COVID, we were all online. Uh, and now people do want to come into the office and we welcome them back uh, if they so want to. But still, for the convenience of it, still people, some people are still choosing to do uh, online. And that's fine, too. We offer both. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, some of the mis some of some of the benefits of mediation is that it creates more of this um, positive experience after you're done with it so that you can co-parent more effectively. It, it is really a big step in that direction um, because, you know, we I, I always say we see people kind of at their a, a low point in their lives. Mm -hmm. The year they get divorced, they're going to look back and say, oh, that wasn't such a great year in my life. Right. But we help them get to a better place um, and that they can coexist. They can sort of see the light uh, while they're going through this process. And they're different at the end of this process from when they started, for sure. Mm -hmm. And you also mentioned how economical it is. It is much more economical to use a mediator than two divorce attorneys. You are getting things done much faster, paying one professional to, to uh, have this process rather than two separate ones communicating solely with each other, where the divorce attorneys are talking to each other, then go back to the client, and then the client talks to their own divorce, divorce attorney, who then talks to the other divorce attorney, and it sort of goes up and around. Whereas when the three of us are meeting, you're having direct conversations with the uh, co-parent, and that helps you, again, after the mediation is done, you've already started those uh, methods of communicating with your co-parent in, in a different way than you did as husband and wife. So, Well, and even a lot, I mean, even if you can't agree to everything in the divorce, the parenting plan, for sure, because that is specific to both of you. And so if you can advocate for yourself and you can be like, listen, I just want to say what's important to me, you know, I think that that's a great way to use a mediator. And in some states, you know, we're right next to Illinois. And in Illinois, in a lot of states are doing this, in order to talk to the judge, if there is a, a child custody issue, you have to go to two hours of mediation before you get to talk to the judge. And so and some people are just treating that as like, oh, that's two hours, I'll just go do my time and then go to the judge. But if you use that time wisely, you could use it just for the parenting, like just give it the parenting plan a try, right? And then, oh, okay, maybe this mediator helped. Okay, maybe you can take it a little bit further. Um, but it is you advocating for what you want for you and your children or you and your family dynamic um, when you come into mediation. Yeah, and I think through mediation, people realize how much they do agree on. Like uh, usually, even in litigated cases, they're usually only, you know, they're only arguing about a, a few points and mm -hmm. um, they really agree about 90% of the issues can get resolved and communicated and agreed upon. So that happens in mediation all the time. And then once you realize, oh, well, we're working together and we're agreeing on this because in mediation, we point out what you agree on. In litigation, they point out what you don't agree on. Mm -hmm. So the agreed upon points are a large majority of the uh, process. And then it makes those few sticky points easier to manage because you've already realized how much you do agree on. Mm -hmm. And you might be okay with like Johnny continuing hockey, but you also might want to say, if Johnny says, I don't want to play hockey, 
what is the process then to stop hockey, right? Like you can still have, hey, we will then, even if you talk about what you're going to do to solve it in the future, even if it's not like this is the solve, but it's like, we're going to talk about it. Johnny's going to have a, you know, like you've at least enunciate how the intention. And in some cases, like the parenting plan is all intention. We intend to do some of these things, but we know when we get there, it's going to take additional conversations kind of thing. Right. Sure. Well, this has been so helpful. Do you have any other suggestions for anybody if they're dealing with a parenting plan or do you offer like an hour or a half an hour kind of introductory call if people have some questions? Sure. People can always give me a call. I'd be happy to talk to anybody. Um, there's my number, 908-913-0373. We're in New Jersey. And I'd be happy to uh, you know, explain more in depth about how this whole process works and talk about you know, how, how you can move forward with mediation. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. Um, I'm sure we'll have some more questions in the future talking about mediation and divorce, and uh, maybe we'll have you back as a guest. Wonderful. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you. You're welcome.